Well, good morning. It is good to be together today. My name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. We are glad that you chose to be here. We know a lot of things are vying for your time and to put God first and this community first and be here. We're just grateful for you. We consider you a gift. If you are um, just coming in or you've been with us, we are in the middle of a series of messages we've entitled, I Pray. And John has led us the last several weeks through several areas in prayer, uh, starting with uh, this idea that we can have a continual life of prayer with God. That it isn't confined to a one-hour quiet prayer time in the morning in the corner with the candle lit and your journal. and, And if you don't do that, then shame on you and you don't have a good prayer life. He said, We have a with God life where we can continually be in prayer and in conversation with God. And uh, and so gave us ways to think about that as we go throughout that Bethel, that God came here to be with us. And then looked at the barriers, the things that might get in the way of our, our prayer life with God, and of barriers of shame and guilt and anger and fear and whatever it is that's getting in the way and said, we need to work through those barriers and bust through that because God is there for us. And then last week, we we talked about our God and how big and amazing and able our God is. That God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever hope or ever dream of. So whatever you are going through, trust that God is able to deliver and promises that he will. And if you've missed any of those messages or you're ever away and not able to be with us, we do podcast our messages each and every Sunday around 12, 1230. They're up and ready to go. So you know, you can keep, uh, keep up with us, keep up with the messages. So we want to make sure that you know that that ministry is there for you. And so uh, this week, we are going to look at the prayer that Jesus taught, the Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer. And so I was reading a story the other day about uh, the Chicago Bears locker room. I know that might not be shocking to you that I would read about football. Usually that's John who does that. But so I read this story uh, that I wanted to share with you. It goes like this. It said, one day, head coach, well, first of all, you guys all know the Chicago Bears. And if you don't, you know Saturday Night Live, the Bears, right? (laughs) That's the only way I really know the bear. So I love this story. Um, it said, one day, uh, head coach Mike Ditka was about to deliver a locker room prep talk to his Chicago Bears. And as he looked up, he looked around, and he saw defensive tackle William Refrigerator Perry. He was called the Fridge. Then again, who could not see him? He stood at 338 pounds. He even stood out amongst his other fellow football players. And Didka gestured over to the fridge and he said, hey, when I get finished, I'd like you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And then the coach just began to talk. So meanwhile, Jim McMahon, the brash and outspoken quarterback, kind of nudged the guy sitting next to him, John Cassis, and whispered, hey, look at Perry. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Sure enough, Perry sat there with a look of panic on his face, and his head is in his hands, and he's sweating profusely. And Cassis replied, nah, sure he does. Everyone knows the Lord's Prayer. So after a few minutes of watching the fridge, like, leak sweat, gallons of sweat, uh, McMahon, uh, McMahon nudged Cassis, and he said, I'll bet you 50 bucks that fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. So when Coach Ditka gets finished with his pep talk, he asks all the men to remove their caps, and he nodded at Perry, Fridge, 
and they all bowed his heads. The room was quiet for a few moments before the fridge began to speak. And in a shaky voice, he said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And Cassus felt a tap on his shoulder, and it was Jim McMahon who whispered to him, You win. Here's the $50. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) It's funny because a lot of us memorize the Lord's Prayer since we were little. If you grew up in the church, this is a part of what we teach in the church is the Lord's Prayer. What Fridge was reciting was the 23rd Psalm. No. It wasn't. See, we remember prayer. We think we remember things. We memorize things in our childhood, but yet we don't quite commit them to our souls. We don't quite commit them to uh, mean what they were initially meant for us to mean. And so Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as a way for us to not mindlessly fumble through our prayer life. And see, he said, um, here's how not to pray. Don't babble like the pagans. Don't, don't use a lot of lofty words. He said, let me give you a way to prayer. And so there's more than just a formula of prayer because Jesus knew that if we would pray this prayer the way it was meant to be prayed, that we would experience formation into Christ-likeness. See, it's a formula for formation. And Jesus knew this. And so he gave it to us as a, as a structure. It has themes in it that uh, guide us to become more like Christ. And so we're going to read this together this morning. This is from Matthew's Gospel. And we're reading it from the New International Version translation. And a lot of times when we recite it, it's from, I think, the New King James Version. But we're going to read it in the NIV. And uh, so let's go ahead. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. And let's read this together this morning. He said, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You'll notice that's not in there. That was added later on by the church. It's just a way to recognize God's goodness. So we're going to look at the prayer this morning. And uh, I just want to upfront apologize that um, there's not nearly enough uh, time for us to do justice to this prayer. We could spend a whole year looking at this. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to do my best to um, give us a different way to approach the Lord's Prayer in our daily lives. So, go on this journey with me. And it starts here. Our Father, and we'll just stop there. Two words in. Our Father. And this is significant. The name of God as Father is significant because God, who created the heavens and the earth by mere speech, who who spoke it into existence, who is able, who is holy. Jesus could have used any of those names in his opening prayer. His audience that he was speaking to often used the name uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, El Shaddai, Elohim. He could have used any other name to inspire reverence and submission to this holy God, but he chose the name Father. He gave us permission to come to God as a loving parent 
to acknowledge we're speaking to someone, not a being that is unattainable. God is personal. When Jesus, God incarnate, came in the flesh, he gave us this prayer, and he gave it to us to remember that God wants a relationship with his kids. You, me, we're his kids. And the word that Jesus actually used, trans, uh, translated the word was Abba, which really translated in our word is dad or daddy. I mean, it's a very intimate relationship uh, a word that he chose I mean, you think of it, how many of you actually say, hey, Father, how are you today? I mean, when we approach our dad, it's usually, hey, Dad, or Daddy. Um, So he did this very intentionally. And and also, um, it's our Father. Like, you and me, we share the same Abba. Our Father. He's, He's yours, he's mine, he's Jesus. So our Father who is in heaven... So where do you think heaven lies? When you hear the word heaven, where do you place God when you hear the word heaven? Well, most people say up there, right? The big man upstairs, you know, up in the sky. Well, the term that was used uh, for the word heaven, it was actually plural, it was uranos. It's a Greek word that literally means heavens, plural, and in the New Testament, the word heaven, uh, Uranos, is used various ways. It's, it's the heaven which is in like the galaxies and the universe where all the stars are and, and like great outside of what we can even imagine. But it is also the atmosphere, the air we breathe is another way that it is used. And so when he says, our father in the heavens literally means both. He is both greater than and within is closer than the air we breathe, and we are never alone, ever alone. Our Abba is with us. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this word hallowed we don't use in our normal speech. I have never used the word hallowed outside of the Lord's Prayer. I don't know about you, but it's not part of my normal speech. So what does the word hallow mean? It means to give honor to, to show respect and adoration that is due the name of God. Uh, We're called to praise and revere and exalt God's name. And so how do we do that? You know, we we acknowledge that he's holy, yes, but there's, there's something to this. If hallow means to honor and show respect, then the opposite of that would be to dishonor and disrespect. And I'm pretty sure God had something to say about how we use and misuse his name. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's located in Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So we interpret that as um, to not swear by God's name. So I have made a commitment my whole life. I don't use the Lord's name in uh, in vain. Instead of saying, oh my God, I say, oh my gosh. And I don't say Jesus Christ as a way to uh, offend or express a a dissatisfaction in something. I say, um, I don't say anything. Cheese and crackers. I don't know. I don't ever think to say that. There's some really great Christian curse words if you want to look that up on Google. It's kind of funny. Uh, John Stamos. I mean, there's some really good ones you can say. Um, You really should look it up because it's funny. Um, But uh, so 
I feel like I don't break the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. I don't use the Lord's name in vain. And while that is an accurate interpretation of what that Ten Commandment is, it's not the whole picture. And so I want to spend a moment to think about that. I think it's very important for us to recognize what it means to hallow it God's name. See, I want to recognize for just a minute that there are people in this room today who have not claimed to know Christ. There are people here today who are not quite ready to give their life to Jesus, call themselves Christians. So for you, this doesn't apply to you. But if you call yourself Christian and you follow Jesus, this does apply to you. Because when you do that, when you take the name of Christ, it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you, right? You have a new name, a new identity. You are the imago Dei. You are an image bearer of God. And it's not just in how you say what you say that does it. It's also in how you live, right? Let my life speak. Use my voice, but use my life to speak and point others to God. So to hallow God's name, we can either hallow God's name with our life or we can profane God's name by our actions, by how our life speaks. So let me ask you this. This is time of self-reflection. Does your life cause others to look and stand in awe of the way you live and your life make them want to know God? Or do you repel people from God? Does your life hallow God's name in word and deed? Does your Christian witness cause others to desire to be like you, or do they want to run from you? So what are some examples of what it means to hallow God's name? I was thinking about some that hallow and some that defame God's name, and I thought about our Butler Mission Week. Then we spent a whole week kind of immersed in our community, praying on the streets, meeting people where they're at, uh, painting and cleaning up and visiting people in the nursing homes, and I think God's name was hallowed that week. A couple months ago, over the last couple months, a story has, uh, has come out of several hundred thousands of children who've been sexually abused at the hands of their priests. God's name is not hallowed in that. Maddie Yeager, I wish she was here today. Uh, this past week was Grandparents' Day, Grandparents' Tea. And she decided to go to Blackmore and be a substitute grandparent. (laughs) And she stood in the gap where these little kiddos had no grandparent there. And she met with them and she had tea and cookies and did arts and crafts with these kids who didn't have anyone to sit with them. And she did it because she said, I'm supposed to be love. So I'm supposed to do. God's name is hallowed through Maddie Yeager that week. Uh, Your social media presence. (laughs) Does it hallow God's name? Or do you knock other people down? Do you shame your fellow brothers and sisters, fellow children of God, in order to make your voice heard? Or do you lift others up? Do people get excited to see what you're going to post? Your name pops up in their news feed. They're like, oh, what are they going to say today? Or do they cringe? Like, oh, what are they going to say today? So I ask you that. Does your social media presence hallow God's name? Does your life 
speak in honor and reverence to God. All right, moving on. The kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to take note for a minute here. As you're reciting this prayer and you're thinking about it, every time the word your is used, it stands in direct contrast to my. Right? So when it says your, it is the opposite of my. So uh, in other words, uh, your kingdom, not my kingdom. Right? Your will, not my will. Be done. So what would God's kingdom look like if it were to actually come? Like, what would it look like for God's kingdom to actually come where we are today? Now, a lot of times I think we feel removed from the word kingdom because we live in 2018 in the United States of America. And we don't live with kings and queens. I mean, that's not, our, that's not how we are governed here. So in effort to kind of connect a little bit more with this, let's go ahead and use an appropriate word. Ooh, your government come. Your politics come, your will be done in Butler County, in Kansas, on Capitol Hill, as it is in heaven. What would it look like for God's kingdom, God's government, to rule? I deeply love and respect fellow brothers and sisters who sit on all and all sides of the story of politics. And I believe when we claim the name of Christ and we see the world as it is in contrast to how the world is supposed to be. See, God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and of mercy and of love and of grace. And then we look around and we say, holy cow, this is a little different. This is a little different than what we were hoping for. This is not God's plan. And so we say, here's how it's supposed to be, but here's how it is. And as a Christ follower, I'm supposed to kind of close the gap. I got to find out what God has done with me and through me and in me to help make that, make it come a little bit closer, to actually bring the kingdom of God here. So what do I do? What is my place in that? And so if it stands in contrast, I mean, so we can, we can point all day long out there that, oh, the world, the world, the world, right? God's kingdom. So my question is, um, if it's not God's kingdom and it's our kingdom, what does your kingdom look like? Your kingdom. Because I think there are a lot of kingdoms that are vying for space in our lives. There's political kingdom, there's economic kingdom, there's entertainment kingdom, there's athletic kingdoms, education kingdoms, and on and on and on. All kinds of people vying for space and priority and lordship over our lives. So if you think about this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a very, very dangerous prayer to pray because you risk everything if you actually mean what you say. What would your kingdom look like if you let God's kingdom rule instead of yours? What would you have to give up? I can promise you this. Nothing compares to God's kingdom in your life. Nothing the world promises will give you any kind of joy that will come from serving in God's kingdom. Because one day there will be only one kingdom. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus' way is the way.
Amen? Right? Oh, give us this day our daily bread. The word translated in Greek here, this, this word daily, Jesus used, um, he spoke Aramaic, but they, when they translated the Bible, they, they used Greek, and there was no other word for this word that Jesus used here that we have translated as daily. But what the word, the word they came up with was epiousion. And epi means to or on or upon or in. It's a, a spatial relationship. And usian means the essence of being or substance. So basically what it means um, is that which is needed for us to be, for us to just exist. Our daily bread, bread that is essential, that is necessary for living, for life. So if you are... Uh, at the poverty level, or you um, don't have enough bread, you might actually pray this prayer over your children at night that say, God, let us not go to bed hungry tomorrow. Give us tomorrow our daily bread so they're not hungry. But in our church, there are, so there are some of us who will pray that, but there are a lot of us who do not have to worry about food. I do not have to worry about enough food. There's a lot of food in my house. I have a pantry. I've got a, a freezer in the, in the basement. Um, so how do you think I'm to respond to that? See, it says, um, give us today our daily bread. Not me, right? There's more to it. There's uh, us, me. God, give me my daily bread. But that's not what he says. He says, give us our daily bread. Us, our ch- all of us. We're praying, God, give your children, my brothers and sisters, give them their daily bread. How do you think God plans to answer that prayer? See, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were wandering for 40 years, how did they eat? God sent manna from heaven. And every day, they would wake up and they would have bread. And they would have enough for the day. But the thing with what God provided is they could not store it. They could not hoard it or it would rot. So they had just enough every day to eat and to survive. But we're not getting manna dropping from heaven right now, are we? Cans of Progresso are like falling out of the sky, right? How do we uh, get our prayers answered? Through each other. That is how we are to answer prayers. We are the instruments of God. You, me, tangible, hands and feet of Jesus. James uh, was one of the authors in the Bible. And he writes this. He says, he says, faith without works is dead. He says, if you see someone on the street who's hungry and you say, oh, bless you, but you do nothing, it's dead. See, in Deuteronomy 15.10, we read in the Old Testament, it, um, it says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. Pray and work. Pray and go. Pray and act. And when you do this, when you give generously, the blessing comes back to you. And so instead of resenting the poor around you, instead of begrudgingly giving your offering, you say, in an effort to figure out my unique calling, in an effort to find how God has wired me to, to you know, close the gap in this world, to be an answer, I am going to give so that I can receive God's blessing. 
And you know this, some of you in this room just, in, in this room today, you know how it feels when you are generous. There's nothing like it. Something is activated in your heart and in your soul that nothing else can do aside from being generous. You know, God put that in us and wants you to experience that. The writer of Isaiah uh, is writing about, uh, God is talking to his people about fasting. And he says, why do you fast? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? And your own flesh and blood, by the way, we are flesh and blood. We are of one body and one spirit in the kingdom of God. And then the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the different churches in the New Testament, he's talking about giving and generosity in his letters. And he's writing to them who are giving of their offerings, and, and then it was, it, was, uh, it was a tradition for them to give, um, they give 10%, the first fruits of all that they had. And he said, um, your surplus, which you get, will, uh, will provide for the deficit in some of these other churches. And then when you need it, they're going to have it and they're going to give it back. It's called kingdom economics. A little different than the way that the world lives. And he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And throughout us, your generosity, oh, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Think of the people that you know, either personally or that you have come across, who have this deep joy and contentment in your lives, and I will show you people who are generous. I can almost guarantee you that generosity is a piece of who they are. When you are generous, you unlock something in you. And we hold so tightly to our stuff. This false impression that is all ours anyway. Generosity is a very big part of our discipleship. It is talked about throughout the entire Bible. We have witnessed what it has done throughout the beginning, um, since the beginning of time. And so every Sunday we go to a time where we collect the offering. And, and it's not about meeting a church budget. People always say, oh, I came to church and they did the whole money talk and they talk about money. Why do they always talk about money? It's not about money. It's, a, it, it's about giving you an opportunity to put your faith in God and say, God, your will, not mine. Your way, not mine. It's your time to worship God, to give generously to the mission of God in this world with your fellow believers, with the place that you call your church home, through your church family, and through that, we can be the answer to other people's prayers. They pray these prayers. We say, oh, we've got it. We're going to give because you've been given, we've been given so much. And, you know, we don't need your money as the church. We don't need it. What we need is your generous heart. What we need is a people committed to generous lives, willing to give because God gave to us. That's what we need. We need you to follow Jesus day in and day out and trust him. Because God has put a vision and a mission into this church and into this world. And, and we are called to live into it. And the truth is, we will not be able to fulfill the full vision if you withhold your generosity. Because it takes all of us.
God says, if I can activate, if they can reach in and understand what I can do for them and not hold on so tightly to their own ways, I have something way bigger out there. Bryce Barkus, who's, who's not here, he leads our finance team, he says, um, just so you know, like, everything we said we wanted to do, we're doing. So I don't think we're setting our sights high enough. I think that is very cool. What would it look like as we prepare the last part of this year, and you're going to hear us talk more about this, we're, we're putting together, um, kind of looking at the mission and ministry of this church, and what are we doing right now? Where do we think God wants us to go? And we're like dreaming big. Okay, God, what are you doing in us and around us and through us, and how are we going to live into it? And we're not going to let money stand in the way, because God, you're the one who's going to activate the hearts of the people. Are you being an answered prayer? Or are you hoarding your manna? Now, I understand money is scary. You heard earlier today we are offering a Financial Peace University. If this is something where you need some help and support, we have people who want to walk with you through that and experience the freedom. I love that man's testimony about being released from prison and then being released from the debts, the chains that are broken when you have no longer owe. Amazing. So we want to walk with you through that. You can mark it on your card in a minute when we collect the offering. Last couple pieces. Again, I told you there's not nearly enough time. Uh, But it says, to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so the kind of debt here that uh, Jesus is talking about is not monetary debt. I mean, we know how that works. You know, you take out a mortgage, you now owe, right? The debt means I owe, I pay. If you ever want to test that theory, go ahead and take out a mortgage and not pay. Forgive me my debt. Uh, yeah, that doesn't work like that. They'll send a loan shark after you and all that. Uh, what Jesus is talking about is this, like, a moral debt. That we all have mountains of, of ways that we have sinned against God and other people. And, and ways we have chosen to not hallow God's name with our lives. Ways that we've hurt people. And, and there, there's no way that we can, we can get rid of that on our own. And then we also have ways and other people have piled up the, the debt on us that we've been sinned against. And Jesus says to pray, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, uh, who are debtors. Forgive us our trespasses. I just want to typically say trespasses as those who trespass against us. But I think a very interesting word here, and we're not going to hang on this too long, but he says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So, Jesus, forgive me to the extent that I am willing to forgive others. So there's like a relationship here. So, God, you're going to treat me the way that I treat others. So the grudges you are holding on to, the unforgiveness in your heart, whatever that is, that's a barrier that is coming in the way of you being able to fully experience God's grace and goodness in your life. He's saying, let it go. Forgive 70 times 7. And God called us to that because he knows forgiveness is for us. That unforgiveness is bondage. And his instruction here is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
I sat under the teaching of a pastor and a professor. His name was Steve Harper, and he talked about this because I always wondered, lead us not into temptation. Like we had to ask God to not tempt us. God, please don't lead me into temptation. And he gave me a beautiful way, gave us a beautiful way to look at it because it said, um, lead me not into, or another way could be away from. It means the same thing. Lead me away from temptation. And I thought, oh, thank you. That just makes so much more sense. Because a loving Abba is not going to intentionally try to tempt me with things. That's the job of Satan. That's the job of the evil one. The job of a loving Abba is to help me, lead me away from, and deliver me from what tempts me and what binds me up. We all are tempted. We all sin. We all fall short. And we need God in his guidance and his love to help us. But guess what? How do you think God is going to answer that prayer? God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. Yes, absolutely, through the Holy Spirit, through the guidance and love in our lives. There's more than that. It's through the accountability of relationship with other people. See, when God made man, he said it is not good for man to be alone. When he made humans, we were not made to do things alone. And temptation and sin happens often in the dark and hidden in secret. And to call others into accountability, into relationship with you and say, help me in this, to just speak it is what the answer is. That when we bring the darkness into light, that's when healing can happen and can take place and where we can then be led away. But here's the thing. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and uh, she was just really wrestling. I hadn't seen her in a while and she said, I just, um, I've just been kind of really struggling with some stuff so I haven't, haven't been around. And I said, you, we need you. You're a part of this family and when you're not here, we're not full. We're not complete. So you, but you have to enter in. You have to be the one to make yourself available. And it's hard. And it takes vulnerability. But we will not force ourselves on you. God will not force himself on you. It's unforced rhythms of grace. And so today, I ask you, are you leaning in into relationship? Are you opening yourself to being with people to help you in your life. Because on your own, you'll never make it. We need the power of God and we need the power of community. And we do that here. We have hope groups we've started. Um, we also, so you can, on their card, you can, can, you can check on there that you are interested in be, being in a hope group. But for some reason, sometimes you just can't do it based on schedule and time. Maybe whatever is causing it to be hard for you to connect with other people. I would say, pray about this for God to reveal to you one or two people that you could connect with. Just takes, you know, two or three people for this to take place to help with this peace in our lives. Start a group. Be an answer to someone else's prayer. Be available as the body of Christ. 
the last part, the, the yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We added that sometime later as the church. It's just a beautiful uh, declaration to say that God's kingdom government, effective will that holds power and dominion over all, yesterday, today, and forever. This Lord's Prayer is our formula for formation. And if you give it, give your mind time to, uh, to rest in this, to wrestle with this, I can promise you that God will do a mighty work in you.